Hello, and welcome back to The Future Of. I am your host, Jonathan Narvi, and I have a distinguished guest with me today who um, I, I have to admit this is a little bit self-serving of me uh, because we both wound up on the same terrific list by uh, one um, observer, writer, uh, um, and uh, commentator on the tech scene that I greatly admire, William Johnson. And he put together a list of the, uh, the, the newest, the best uh, uh, podcasts and, and vlogcasts around uh, in Vancouver and uh, perhaps beyond. Um, and one of these people right, right near the top of the list was Eric Termunday, uh, who, and, and we have not spoken before, well, at least not until a few minutes ago, uh, but I, I, I saw on the list, again, I, I greatly admire William's, uh, uh, William's thoughts and insights and his perspective. And uh, so you making that list, uh, I believe it was the Vancouver Tech Journal and of course shared elsewhere as well. Um, uh, that, is, that is a great honor for me as well. It was, you know, it was, <laughs> it was great. And I think I read a pass along my thanks to, to a friend, Joel Hansen, who might've made William aware of the podcast, you know, credit where credit's due and, and thanks to him as well. But uh, mm. grateful to be on the list nonetheless and to be in good company and excited for the conversation today. Thank you. Thank you. So um, let's give a little bit more context for those who might be a little bit unfamiliar. Eric Tremundi, who are you? I'm a, I'm a Vancouverite who in the past 12 months uh, hasn't left. <laughs> um, but in the 12 months before that was on 100 flights, speaking on 60 or so different stages uh, all over North America and into Europe about what the future of work might look like and how to create uh, phenomenal teams uh, doing the thing we do more than anything else in the day, and that's uh, work. Um, I'm working on my second book at the moment, my first book, Rethink Work, came out in 2017, and um, just working with organizations to reduce friction uh, on their teams to make what I like to call one degree shifts mm -hmm. and to move into what I think we can all agree is a very uncertain future uh, with a little bit more confidence. Mm -hmm. So, uh, by the way, hats off to you for using your time effectively now that you're no longer this world jet setting uh, guy going to conferences every might as well work on a book. Uh, we can talk about that just for one second because yeah. I did the math. I, I think this is just really interesting. I, I did the math. And, and when you think of like a hundred flights, the average flight, it was, it was three hours. Um, and then you get, you know, transportation to and from, and then you get packing and then you get the hotel and then you get the mm -hmm. conference checks and then you get the event and then you go back to the hotel. I figure I got about 800 hours back um, last year. And when you've got 40, uh, 40 hours in the work week, you got about 20 work weeks back that I didn't have before. And so it was a, a bit of a change and um, took some getting used to, but here we are. Well, congratulations on getting a whole new lease on life. <laughs> it was totally, it was uh, one of the silver linings, I guess, of, uh, of, of COVID. So um, yeah, you, you're all about how to uh, improve the workplace, work better effectively in teams and companies. Um, so I'm curious, you know, for, for what you've been discovering uh, for your book and previously, uh, you know, what are these, maybe, maybe first we should explain what, what the one degree shift, uh, what examples of this might be, and then we can get into the research that you've seen about, um, you know, what works, what doesn't. 
Yeah, I mean, a one degree shift uh, is the smallest viable change we can make over and over again. So I think of like uh, an MVP or a minimum viable product in the tech world, something that you go to market with just to test to see how it works. You know, the one degree shift is the MVP, but in sort of actions and behaviors, um, knowing that the future is impossible to predict. Gone are the days of the five or the 10 year sort of strat plans that we're married to uh, and in with the quarterly uh, targets or the weekly targets or even the hourly targets that we can keep testing and poking and understanding if the direction that we're taking or on is working. And more importantly, if, if there's a new practice that we can implement. Uh, a story of this, I, I guess, it came from the British cycling team in, uh, in, in 2002. The British cycling team had never had a really positive uh, experience in the Olympics. In the 76-year history of the Olympics, they hadn't made it to the podium even once. So Dave Brailsford, the incoming coach of the cycling team, you know, the way that I saw it, he had two options. Number one, he could continue to pour money into the team and hope for a better result, or he could scrap the team and start with new athletes. But he took a different approach. He took a one-degree shift approach. And in the shifts that he made, he wanted to understand really where was the friction on our team? Where were the little shifts that we could be making so that we could have a better result, not just on the podium, but the races along the way. And, and what he found is that the racers or the riders were sick too often. They weren't sleeping well. The bikes were not in top shape. And so he removed friction just by one little action at a time over and over and over again until they started to get better results. The first thing he did is he taught the team how to wash their hands. He brought surgeons in to, to teach them how to wash their hands. Uh, and then he had a policy for the team that when they were on the road, they wouldn't be shaking hands. They'd be doing elbow bumps. Who would have thought he was 18 years ahead of his time with the elbow pops? Uh, then he realized the team wasn't sleeping well, so he monitored what temperature each rider slept best at, and he adjusted the thermostats in their room. Real simple. And when the riders slept better, uh, they rode better. When they rode better, they placed better. Then he noticed that the bikes were breaking down too often. So what did he do? He didn't toss the bikes, the trucks. He just looked, and the back of the truck was getting dirty too often, which was getting into the gears and the mechanics of the bike. So he didn't toss anything now. He just painted the floor of the truck white. And so when the dust and the dirt started to develop on the back of the floor, it just swept it out, plain and simple. Bikes were cleaner longer, they rode better, and they got those key seconds that were really important in cycling. It was these like one degree shifts that he made over and over again. Now, again, they weren't all positive one degree shifts, but he learned from every single one of them. And by the time Beijing Olympics came around in 2008, the Brits didn't just win gold once, they won seven times. And the Paralympic team did too. And I think when we can take this one degree shift approach, testing and experimenting little things over and over again, that the future as unpredictable as it might be, can be something that we can enter into with a little bit more confidence. That this is so terrific. It, it aligns very much with um, my own experience. Um, when I was younger, I had a boss who I hated and probably unfairly because, um, you know, I was basically a screw up who kept on making little mistakes because I wasn't paying attention to the details. Mm -hmm. And he, he actually had a saying, take care of the little things and the big things take care of themselves. Nice. And yeah. uh, had I heeded his advice earlier, I probably wouldn't have hated him as much because I would have gotten <laughs> so much positive feedback. Um, mm -hmm. um and I actually, um, I, I also implement this kind of philosophy of one degree shifts in my own work uh, as a PR guy and marketer. 
um, sure. in, in um, not just on, on, in a sense of being more productive, but being more effective. So an example, maybe this aligns uh, with what you've seen elsewhere. Um, I, I'm, I'm obsessed with cognitive load. That is to say, reducing cognitive load. So what is the, um, you know, if I have five seconds, maybe 10 seconds to make an impression on a reporter or somebody who's uh, opening up my email, uh, what is the thing, you know, can, can I reduce the, the word count? Can I, sure. can I make the words simpler, easier to understand, uh, uh, catchier right away? Uh, so that it reduces by a second the amount of attention they have to pay in order to get the message. Um, so that's. So am I right answer. in saying then that you can't get to better or best without making those little one degree shifts along the way? I mean, you have to look back and analyze how successful was that? Was it better than the time before? Was it was it less effective? Oh, and yeah. I think over 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 days, weeks, months, and years. I think that's really how mastery is is accomplished, right? Yeah, and uh, a big part of that is losing the ego. That mm. that's a killer. Is is mm. just um, you know thinking, yeah, I know what I'm doing. Okay, well I do, but right. uh, you can always improve. You know, having yeah. too much ego and thinking, I already know. I, I don't have to be improving. No, you have to be improving constantly. Right. And at a certain level, it's it's you've done the big things. You you seize the yeah. low hanging fruit early on. Um, so sorry, I'm 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 rambling a bit. No, well, but you know yeah. what? You're actually helping with my point because I don't yeah. want to get too conceptual here. But mm. this one degree shift is really what I'm what mm. I'm building out, and it's important to note that the one degree shift. I don't want to get too visual or conceptual, but the one degree shift actually lives on the x axis, not the y axis. You know, it's not about getting 1% better because, you know, in PR or in marketing or in speaking, there's no 100%. There's no, there's no best. There's no finish line. There's no done or complete. So I think that by making these one degree shifts, you know, you poke through enough hard spots, we're going to get a soft spot. The way that I see it is that success really is, is an inevitability if we keep trying and poking and testing along the way. I mean, we're bound to get it right simply by learning enough ways how to get it wrong along the way that's that's such a great point and i'm so glad you brought it up it, it's very much akin to something i heard a few months back from i, I always like to uh credit people i'm stealing their ideas <laughs> so uh this this comes from sam harris and i wish i'd remember the the interviewee he had but mm. it was it, it was about creativity how to get good ideas and and so in in uh, when it comes to creativity actually this is a, a perfect example of um, it's really, really hard to get uh, better at it to become, you know, naturally more creative than, than you already were. Uh, but you can, uh, let, if you, you can reduce the impediments to your natural ability. So, yeah. um, you know, in, instead of, um, you know, like you said, you know, getting a good night's sleep, this, yeah. the, the ideas are going to flow better. Uh, yeah. uh, stepping away from your yeah. work. Uh, you know, how, you know, when do we get good ideas? It's not when you're hunched over your desk trying to think of the idea. It's when <laughs> you've already done the work, you've done the research, right. you, you've thought deeply about it. You step away, you take a walk, you take a shower. That's when it pops in. Mm -hmm. See, the way that I see it too is that, and I, I don't know if I've said this, uh, I've said this in my head a hundred times, but I don't know if I've said it 
on a podcast before. So let, let me let me work through this with you. I find that life is kind of like a combination lock that we don't have the combination to. So, you know, the master locks, it goes zero to 60. You know, if they if, if you look at it, 60 by 60 by 60 is 216,000 different combinations that you could possibly have. Now, those who make the one degree shift and those who really test this framework, even without the combination, will eventually be able to get the combination lock unlocked by, you know, systematically spinning it enough times until finally we can pop it open. I think luck comes into play on whether that's the second combination you try or maybe the 200,000th combination you try. But for those who continue to practice this one degree shift, and I almost mean that quite literally when spinning a combination lock uh, over and over again, I think in many ways we'll find out what works um, by in part finding what doesn't. Mm. You know, maybe we can get into some specifics about what maybe can speed up that. Uh, so it's not just a factor of, of luck and, and what, what's the word uh, when, when it, when you tried to um, uh, just, just through sheer brute force. Like serendipity kind of or well, force. Yeah. Yeah. So. Brute force, a problem. Just, I'm going to do this a million times. Um, Cause I, I run into this where um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, you know, it, it, you, you take that approach and you want to be methodical, but uh, it can be so demoralizing if you've been at it for a long time and you're not making progress and you start questioning, is this the right path? So maybe what, what are some, uh, maybe either, either uh, some tips and tactics that you use in your own life to improve your, uh, your, your working, your collaboration or stuff you picked up from your, your research. I think, well, I'll share this with you too, because it just happened today. Uh, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with the co-creator um, and producer of The Queen's Gambit, Alan Scott. I'm not sure if you saw that show on, on Netflix. but I um, did indeed. Yeah, I mean, an incredible show. I think the runtime was 330 minutes. My partner and I finished it in about 345 with a little bio break somewhere in the middle. We just loved it. But I looked, you know, I, I saw a post shortly after that said the Queen's Gambit took 30 years and nine rewrites to complete. And that was all Alan Scott's work along with his colleagues along the way. He had, you know, Heath Ledger as a partner at some points and worked with an incredible amount of people. And I, I asked him the same question. I said, look, you said you had no, um, being the only word that you heard for years and years and years. And he said, well, you know, I made a lot of movies in 30 years, not just the Queen's Gambit. It wasn't my sole project, but I believed in the project enough to stick with it until we got the yes, that was right. And look, I don't blame them for saying no in the first eight times. It wasn't the, it wasn't the film that was, or wasn't the film that was right uh, at the time or at the place. Uh, and so what I would say is that while we're making these one degree shifts and testing um, these different areas, whether it be in fitness or relationships or career, it doesn't have to be the sole dedication of all we think about uh, along the way. So I would say even to your point, you know, don't be afraid to step back for a second too. It does just because it's on the back burner doesn't mean it's off the stove. <laughs> what, what, that's, that's a terrific way of putting it. Um, and I also don't want to um, push down the, uh, the benefit of being persistent about something early on when you're just learning the craft. Totally. Uh, yeah. I, I was um, listening to a speech uh, that Stephen King was giving to a, uh, a group of his fans and, and I guess book lovers at a book conference. 
And uh, he talked about his early days of uh, writing um, short stories and the, and the novels that he, uh, that he wrote when he was very young. Uh, and uh, he talked about, uh, he, he would take all of his rejection letters and uh, he had a nail on his wall and he would just put them on the, uh, uh, put them on the nail, all, the, all these rejection letters. And at one point, mm -hmm. um, this is, he, he gets to a point where it's, it's full up. And uh, so he's got two things he can do. He can give up or uh, as he's, he put it, I got a bigger nail. <laughs> yeah. He kept at it. And, and the yeah. other part of this story is that uh, when he, he already had filled up that original short nail into the wall with all those rejection letters, um, if I recall correctly, this anecdote, he was 18. Right. Um, well, isn't that, isn't, yeah. isn't that uh, the sign of a guy who doesn't have the combination to the lock and just keeps spinning it? Hmm. Look, I think we can measure in some ways, I think we can measure our success by the amount of times that we failed. Hmm. You know, we look at Brian Chesky and the Airbnb guys. How many times did, were they told no? Uh, oh, how many absolutely. times is Kalanick at Uber told no? How many times was anyone who's made it anywhere told no? And I think the answer is one fewer time, or sorry, at least one fewer time than they were told yes, right? Because eventually somebody said yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, so there's the the power of persistence. What, what about, um, you know, we, we've talked about individual achievement, making yourself mm. better. And, and also you, you had the story of, of the, the coach who made the whole team better. Uh, in terms of collaborating with others, uh, yeah. are there sort of one degree shifts that, that you recommend? Well, what I've learned is that the foundation to any great team is a deep sense of trust. Um, and I think the one degree shift when we make that across our teams, first and foremost, and even most importantly, develops that sense of, of trust. I think when we build a culture of, of experimentation with each other, um, of practicing vulnerability and not being afraid to be wrong. Now, look, again, I'm not saying we're testing these organization um, making or breaking ideas. I'm just talking like, you know, should this call be a Zoom call or should it be, uh, can we just slack it out? <laughs> could it be an email or could it be a text? Um, but I think when we start to play with communication styles, with recognition, with rewards, with feedback, uh, with workload, you know, whether we're asynchronous in terms of our working environment, whether we're in the office, whether we're nine to five, I think when we can play with the relationships and how we can more effectively work together, then we build this sense of trust with each other because we communicate more effectively uh, and great things happen. I'll give you an example of a one degree shift um, that happened in, uh, in Toronto in 2009. Um, Shreddy's, Post Cereal was having a, a tough time with their Shreddy's brand and um, sales were flat. Uh, when they asked a bunch of their customers what they thought of Shreddies, they thought, you know, it kind of tasted like grandma's house. You know, there was this nostalgic sort of older feel to Shreddies, but they weren't exciting like, you know, Cinnamon Toast Crunch or whatever the, the kid cereal was. So they saw that Shreddies was doing well with the older generation, but not doing very well with the younger generation. So what they did is they asked uh, their interns uh, to come up with a new campaign for Shreddies, but they didn't want to rock the boat too much. So they said, you know, we don't want sugar and cinnamon and strawberries and, you know, all the honey and all the stuff that could be in Shreddies. We just want something small that we can revitalize the brand with. And so, you know, a couple of months later, they came back and the idea that they came up with, and you might remember this on all the TV commercials and the bus ads and the billboards, they came up with the diamond Shreddies. 
uh, and they ran this campaign across the country and it absolutely took fire. Uh, where all they did was change the square shreddy 45 degrees, put it as a diamond, remarketed the whole thing. And they saw that uh, sales for shreddies went up 18% the next quarter. And I, I share this with you because what happens when we experiment um, and what happens when we create and give trust to, to our team members to try something new, not only do great things happen, but um, we build this better sense of belonging, camaraderie, and safety across the team too, because truly, and I think now better time than ever, I think we are all in this together. And the more group think we can apply uh, to tasks like this or to different projects, uh, the more we can trust each other to, to have each other's back, to be committed, to be held accountable, and to be attentive to results. Mm. This is uh, such a good point. I'm, and I'm glad you're, you're talking about, you know, the, the idea of this is um, an ongoing experiment. You're looking at results. You're looking at what works. Um, and, and again, going back to that uh, conversation I alluded to before on, on the Harris podcast, and I, I, won't, I won't mention it again after this because otherwise this is going to be too fanboyish. But uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, yeah, the, the creativity topic was, um, you know, in terms of um, what a creative person is, is not a person who necessarily comes up with a higher per capita number of great ideas. They just come up with more ideas, period. And if you've got someone who comes up with a hundred ideas a day versus mm -hmm. someone who comes up with five or 10 good ideas, sure. five or 10 ideas, not good, yeah. just, just ideas. Yeah. Uh, the hundred ideas guy is going to likely come up with some, some better stuff uh, just by sheer force of numbers. And, and it's, um, so I, I think, yeah, these one degree shifts, it's like not every change you make is going to work out, but, right. and uh, of course we don't have to reinvent the wheel. You've got, that's right. And I think that's, yeah. that's really important. Yeah. I found that there are two things that people hate. Number one is change. And number two is the way things are. <laughs> so it's kind of a lose, lose, but let's go back to that guy who comes up with a hundred ideas. Mm. What if you were that guy with a hundred ideas or that girl with a hundred ideas and your superior, your boss, your leader didn't have time for any of them? I mean, how suppressed, how caged might you feel um, and, and, and stuck? And I think we see this all the time in toxic or dysfunctioning teams. Now, again, I've it's not that, that we guy. need to. Right. We've all been that guy. <laughs> and I don't think it's about creating space to have all these hundred ideas laid out mm. uh, and, and, and put on display. Mm. But I think it's there they, begs the the question, why aren't we hearing uh, some of them? And I mean, look, you can have a democratic process to understand why they don't work. It doesn't have to be no, no, no. But when we have the team on board, instead of saying, no, that won't work, why don't we say like, yes, and how about we do it this way too? Or how about we add this thing and make the idea bigger instead of smaller and then test little things along the way? Terrific, terrific. Um, so are, are there... Uh, what, what, what is a change you might have made, say, uh, this week uh, or this month in relation to, say, your, your book writing process uh, mm. that you're, you're just sort of experimenting with and maybe it seems to be working for you? Um, anything come to mind? Um, I rearranged my working space um, this week that wasn't here last week, which has been interesting. Um, but this, uh, 
you know, for, for, from a writing perspective, I, I went and interviewed Alan Scott, you know, uh, co-creator uh, and, and director of, of The Queen's Gambit. Because I think that, here's, here's what I think. I think that we can learn a lot from businesses and leaders and teams. You know, you can learn a lot from what TELUS has done or what Shaw Cable have done. You can learn a lot from these incredible organizations. But sometimes when you ideate and understand from different businesses, different industries, when you learn from sport or, or something else, that all of a sudden um, you've got a whole different perspective on what might be a very similar topic. One of the things that I've learned, especially in today's meeting with Alan, is that despite being in a wildly different industry, the importance of the relationship that he's built, all the relationships that he's built along the way and the trust that he's had in his people has been fundamental in the Queen's Gambit being finally produced some 30 years after he started it. And I think that you know these tie-ins in the corporate world or corporate, I think is even too strong, just in the working world um, are always there. And it sort of simplified the message to me that if we can trust each other, knowing that we can't predict the future, and I think we can be have a stronger chance, at least, of getting through whatever the world will throw at us together. Mm. Um, one thing that that came out of that, and actually, this is, you're, you might think this is the dumbest thing that uh, the, the dumbest observation or, or dumbest question that came out of this. But um, I'm curious how you got that conversation with Alan Scott. Uh, the, um, I mean, that, that is a big thing to do to reach out to a high profile expert, uh, sure. and, and, uh, you know, and, and go in a, a spirit of humility and be like, uh, Hey, I, 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 I really want to talk to you. How did, if, if, if you want to share, I'm happy to share it yeah. because I, I'm actually kind of proud of it too. Um, I scoured the web, uh, for a couple of hours and had no luck. Uh, went to websites, went to Queens Gambit, read different news articles and everything else. No luck, no luck, no luck. Then I went to IMDB and then I went and went to like go hire him, you know, like for, for a talk or for something like that. But then I realized that with my basic IMDB subscription, or you know, I, couldn't do it. So I had to sign up for IMDb Pro, which was 20 bucks a month, but the first month was free uh, so that I could get access to his agents. And then I went through his agents and I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing this book. Here's the questions that I wanted to ask him. I appreciate the work that he's done, would really uh, appreciate 20 minutes of his time. They passed it on to Alan. Alan got back to me. This morning we had the conversation and uh, the rest is history. That is oh, and cool. by the way, I, I I did cancel my IMDb subscription right after sending the email. By the way, so I'm not out of <laughs> Well, that that is unbelievable. That that is that's some terrific. Uh, you know, we can't go in through the front gate of the castle. Right. How do we get in through the side entrance or or the right. the, the back? Uh, yeah. So terrific. And and now I I have a tip about how to reach out to celebrities. So that's, there we go. Uh, there we go. That's terrific. Just make sure you cancel before 30 days. You save yourself 20 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> terrific, terrific. So um, I, I've learned a lot from this, this conversation. Um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, for those who maybe are encounter, encountering you for the first time, um, how does one get into this line of work? What did you do to be become you? You go into IMDb and you set up a, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> a few years back, I had an HR consultancy um, and we built a tool that quantified workplace culture. So think of it, um, 
very in line with sort of an employee engagement survey, but we didn't understand if employees were engaged. We understood sort of what a day in the life would look like. Um, I think I think in Vancouver, there are some 30,000 accountants, um, obviously highly professional, skilled, respectable, responsible individuals. But, you know, I've got friends that are accountants in the office right now. I've got friends that are accountants at home uh, for big companies, small companies. And even as an accountant, you can live a wildly different life. But the problem for accountants or anyone for that matter is that when you look at a job description, they all look the exact same. So you don't actually know if you're going to like the job until you're three weeks into it. And if you don't, either it's too late or you've wasted uh, three months trying to find the right fit. So, you know, we started to do a lot of research on uh, and, 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 and consulting with companies across the country into the States and into the United Kingdom a little bit to understand not how do you change your culture necessarily, but how do you find out really what's working and then leverage that story to attract people that would want a similar experience. Um, and that, that was great. I wrote, wrote my book, uh, yeah, in 2017, uh, started speaking in 2015. And uh, here we are about, I think about 350 stages later. And what was the name of that book again for the audience? It was a bestseller, uh, if I believe. It was, it was called Rethink Work. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, was that, uh, is there something that, you know, I, I realize the the one degree shift thing is is sort of a new thing that that you're playing with. Mm. Um, do you have other advice for particularly? I, I I'm in I exist in business and tech circles, so startups yeah. uh, and and some larger companies that are trying to uh, behave like their like their startups, uh, right. trying, trying to have that nimbleness. Sure. Um, you know, is there um, something about uh, startup culture or, or you know, the, you know, working in an innovative company where you feel like you, you have some interesting insights into how things are maybe not working as well as they could? Um, mm -hmm. you know, what uh, either HR departments or, or the leadership can be doing to foster um changes that that boost productivity collaboration or is this more of a thing that sort of happens at a very like ground level like it's pretty much managers and their teams it's a big question i think i think it's a, it's a massive question and that's not a bad thing um okay a couple of, of, of mistakes i think that are being made first um number one we think that perks keep talent Perks attract talent, experience keeps talent. Let's be very clear, the ping pong table, the pool table, which by the way, nobody's used for 11 months now anyways, used to look really good on the brochure or the career page or the above us page. But if it wasn't being used because people weren't being managed or led or working collaboratively together while they were there, then it's all for naught. Um, I also think one of the big mistakes that are being made right now is that we focus too much on the why of our companies and not enough on the how. Uh, now, look, Simon Sinek, which I'm sure you and your listeners uh, know, he's built an empire on this, this idea of starting with why. And I think it's a phenomenal idea. I'm a big fan of, of Simon. I also think that the why is really good at attracting talent. But if you and I are just absolute animal guys and we work for the Wild, World Wildlife Foundation and we go into work and you can't stand the person to your left and I can't stand the person to my right, it doesn't matter how dedicated to animals we are. We're probably not sticking around. We'll find another job. 
Um, and the third thing that I would say is that the mistake is that we all strive to have this like startup sort of culture. And I agree the nimbleness and the, ag the agility of these companies are great, but they're not for everyone too. This idea of, of a best culture, um, it doesn't exist. The best place to work in America in 2020 was Hilton Hotels. And the second best place to work was Ultimate Software. I would suggest that somebody in a software company doesn't want to be making beds and somebody making beds are in the valet or working in a hotel probably doesn't want to be working in a software company. So to suggest that there's a, a best way to do things um, fails to understand the uniqueness of our team and what really works for us. And so if we want to understand how to create the best place to work for our team, don't look somewhere else, look inside your own organization and ask the people that you're working with every day. You know, if we're working in these remote situations where right now I'm staring at a camera uh, and I have been all day, uh, how do we then increase the effectiveness our of our communication? How do we work better together? And I think those conversations are the ones that need to be had right now, especially remotely, uh, to create a better culture. And I put that in air quotes for those who are just listening, because I think culture right now is no more complex than how we communicate and interact with each other. We've covered a lot of really great ground here. And, and thank you, by the way, for, for delivering uh, an equally expansive and uh, insightful answer to a rather rambling question. So terrific. Uh, we, awesome. we've, had, we've had a really good conversation. I, I've heard some things that I'm definitely going to implement. I'm, I'm now going to be on IMDb right after this chat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed talking with you. So I've been I've been talking with uh, Eric Tremundi, and uh, if um, someone wanted to learn more about your work, uh, find your books, uh, uh, maybe catch you on Twitter, where would they find you? Yeah, I mean, um, any place you'd expect uh, expect me to be. I mean, the the, the favorite spot uh, is is the website, uh, and then LinkedIn would be probably a close second, and then Twitter from there. So uh, EricTremundi.com, Eric Tremundi on uh, LinkedIn. Just Termundi on uh, Twitter, which I'm sure we'll have to spell out in the show notes. Um, but we'd love to have a chat uh, with anyone who wants to have one and uh, see where we can take it from there. Excellent. You have been listening or perhaps watching the, uh, the future of vlog. And uh, we've been talking about the future of working well. And uh, I hope that if you liked what you have been listening to or watching that you will like it as in click that like button, you will subscribe, send me money, uh, do all kinds of nice things. Hey, me too. Yes. So, um, and I look forward to seeing you next time on the future of, and uh, I will see you in the future.